Welcome to A Year on Tour with Wittinghus. Here's your host, Hans Christian Wittinghus. Thanks so much for tuning into my podcast, A Year on Tour with Wittinghus. Very quickly, before we get started with my conversation with Jakob Hansen, I really, really want to ask you, maybe even beg you to go rate and even more importantly, review this podcast on the Apple Podcast app. Even if you already did it once, it would be so helpful for me if you can do it just one more time. And honestly, it takes nothing more than two minutes and it helps the podcast get out to a much wider audience. And as always, you can consider becoming a patron and support the podcast as well on patreon.com slash fittinghoos. You'll be in with a chance of winning monthly prizes. You get a chance to do a monthly live chat with me and also you get early access to all guest episodes. No binding whatsoever and you can support with any amount you see fit. Now, without any further ado, let's just get down to business. Today's guest has been at five Olympics, but without ever taking part in an actual match. Instead, he's been helping heaps of athletes becoming uh, performing at the best in the most important matches of their lives. For more than 10 years, he worked with some of the best athletes Denmark has to offer, and he was courtside helping me and the rest of the Thomas Cup team achieve the ultimate glory when we won in Kunshan in 2016. Jakob is also an author, a fellow podcast host, and he possesses lots of experience working with performance optimization and leadership development outside of sport as well. He was my personal psychologist for more than five years. So I'm very confident in saying he's a great person and a great capacity to welcome on the show. So Jakob Hansen, very warm welcome to A Year on Tour with Beating Hoops. Thank you very much. Thank you. I hope that introduction was uh, fairly precise. I think it was very, very, very fine. I'm honored by your introduction here so thank All right, you that's that's great to hear and usually Jakob I start off by uh, doing a little bit of small talk on this podcast but I actually want to go about it a little bit differently this time because I've been so excited to uh, to have you on and look forward to this uh, this talk and I've had a lot of great questions as well so I just want to uh, mm-hmm. to jump into it and, and start off with a really big question so if you're up for that is that okay yeah yeah sure all right then I just want to start off by asking you, what is mental strength? Yes, uh, it's a good question. Um, the, the definition would be that you are able to act in accordance with your mission, your values, your game plan, even when you're under pressure and you face difficult thoughts and feelings. That's the theoretical definition. So to put it into a more practical definition, it means that you are you, you play the way you want to, even when you feel anxiety or get nervous or whatever shows up in difficult situations. Um, so it, is, it really is a, a lot about being able to act the way you want to. Mm, even in the most stressful situations. Yes, yes. And it's, it's actually changed quite a bit in the last 10 years because if we go 10 years back, um, you would see and you still find those definitions that mental strength is more about uh, you are able to think positive and you have high self-confidence and you believe in yourself and and actually um, you could you could uh, have all these myths about uh, mental strength that uh, so there's been quite a big uh, shift of 
of a paradigm uh, in accordance to what is mental strength really. And of course that's due to research, but also a lot of the practical experiences working with the performers under the highest pressure. That is actually one of the first things I remember from uh, when we started working together in one of our first talks. We had yeah. this talk about we're not trying to avoid me getting nervous or losing confidence at, at times, but rather we are trying to find a way to work with it when I do feel nervous and exactly as you say, play the way I, I still uh, want to play. Yeah, a, a lot of uh, athletes come into my office and they ask me, can you help me get rid of uh, anxiety? Mm-hmm. Can you help me get rid of uh, being nervous uh, at the big moments or And uh, actually, if, if we go 10 years or 15 years back, I would have started to <laughs> trying to help those people uh, because we believed in psychology that we were able to do that. But uh, again, there's been the shift. And today, I, I never say I can help you get rid of that, but I can help you accept that and embrace that and be the way you want to be even when you perform under the highest pressure. Yeah, that makes that makes pretty good sense. And one of the reasons why I wanted to ask you this question first off is because quite a few of the listeners, they already know that you used to be my uh, psychologist. So they wanted me to ask you, do you see hmm. me as a mentally uh, strong person or a person? <laughs> And now you can, you can be yeah. honest, Jakob. You can be honest. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think you are. I think we have some situations where you were really, really mentally strong. Uh, but you're also a person that uh, reflected a lot of things on things. So it was not easy for you. Uh, you had really to, to work uh, with yourself. Uh, but I think we, we came really a, a long way in that work. And, um, and I think you, for example, in, in the Thomas Cup, You played three uh, decisive games in a row. Uh, had, there was really a high pressure, and you had the favorite role. And it's not always easy to play there. Um, also, uh, uh, all England, when you reached the semi-final, also really some games where you showed really uh, strong mental capacity. Um, so, uh, so yes, I would say yes. But again, we can also find games where where you didn't uh, succeed. So, um, yeah. Yeah, I actually I want to come back to that a little bit uh, later when we uh, when we go a bit more into how we actually worked together when we were at tournaments because I I've, I have a pretty good example of where it didn't go so well and I also have a good example of when it did go well and that's obviously the Thomas Cup but I'll uh, I'll get back to that later in uh, in the talk uh, and yeah. I I want to stick uh, to talking a can, bit more can about I ask this. You the, yeah, I, yes, sir. I'm curious. Uh, I'm you know. Uh, And maybe it's my profession, but I just get curious. I wanted to ask you the, the question to you. Do you think you are mentally strong? Um, maybe that's I not think... the, the scope of the podcast. No, no, that's fine. That's absolutely fine. I think I am mentally strong in some situations. Um, I, I think you actually described it pretty well that it's it's not easy for me to be mentally strong because I reflect a lot and I overanalyze. Uh, I tend to overanalyze uh, things. Um, I uh, I actually often compare myself to my wife because she's very uh, very simple in her mindset when she's performing. She's a dressage uh, horse rider, and she she doesn't think about anything basically apart from what she needs to do. Uh, so she doesn't think about consequences or yeah anything in, in yeah. that regard. It's it's more simple for her. Uh, yeah. Where 
I see my uh, the way my mind is working. Um, that that it is actually a strength that I'm analyzing things a lot when I'm off court, but when I'm on court, it, it tends to yeah make it a, a bit more complicated. Um, but yeah, I would say I I think I am mentally strong, but I have my weaknesses uh, as well, and uh, I have no doubt that even though we are not working together anymore, I still need to work with my uh, the mental side of my game throughout my career because it's it's not one area of my game that is naturally strong it's only mm. strong now because i i work with it for uh yeah quite a number of years and still do just unfortunately not with uh with you yeah. anymore but uh <laughs> with lots of the techniques still yeah yeah so yeah that would be my take on it that would be my take yeah. on it uh, but going back to uh, talking about this uh, approach or paradigm shift that you're talking about um where you're not trying to avoid people from getting nervous or, or feeling an- anxious Mm. has that approach because you said that it changed 10 15 years ago has nothing changed in the next 10 15 years or is it still the same now that you're just trying to to help people cope with the these feelings or has there been another shift in uh in how uh, you work with work with it yeah that no there hasn't been a shift uh, in the performance uh, approach but it's more mm. outside of uh, the performance arena there's, uh, there's an increased focus on how you thrive as an athlete, uh, mental health. Uh, so, for example, compassion uh, is a, a psychological term that has really has gotten a lot of focus lately. Um, yeah, but the, right, and- but the, mm-hmm. but on court, the the way we approach the mental game on court is still. Uh, very much based on this method, uh, which is grounded in mindfulness and in a method called acceptance and commitment training. Uh, yeah. And what, what I find really interesting about that is that, as I just described with my wife and me, uh, we have very different uh, mindsets or ways that our, our mind tends to work. And I'm sure you experience the same with uh, all the different athletes you've had, that we work very differently. But mm but you have this one approach that seems to to fit all. Is that what you think as well, that, that this approach will work for everyone, but you just need to work with it in different ways to make it uh, successful, but but the approach will actually yeah. be correct for everyone to, to use? Yeah, because we all have the same brain. Um, we all have, and you could say, why, why is it so difficult to relax when you put under pressure? It's because we all, all have the same brain, brain uh, if we look at it from an evolutionary point of view, we have this uh, more primitive part of our brain that are very threat-based. So when we get uh, in a situation where we feel a threat, we, we have a tendency to, to get into a fight and flight mode. It's just different when people experience that and, and what their reaction would be. Would they fly? Would they fight? Or, or how does it look like when you get into this mode? So that's the difference. Uh, but we all have the same brain we all have this threat system and then we have this small uh, complex part of our brain that are able to to connect uh, more with uh, rationality and values how do you want to be as a person and a performer um, so again the values can be very different uh, and also the mission what do you want why are you for example why are you a badminton player uh, so we also work a lot on um, exploring the mission and the values. Um, and that is very different from person to person. But 
the brain is, is the same. So we all, we all have the stress threat system and we also have this more complex part of the brain. And that's why the approach is, is useful for every uh, individual, but the content of how, what we work with is very different. Mm. Now, how quickly will you be able to determine when you meet a person that uh, I probably need to use this toolbox instead of that toolbox uh, when I when I work with this uh, this individual? Is that easy for you to kind of make that distinction uh, quickly? Yeah, it's very uh, you know I don't know if it's uh, quickly or slow or uh, I don't but of course with experience you you know some patterns uh, how performance performers think and how they act when they got under pressure so so some patterns I can rather quickly look for um, but again it's. Uh, it's also complex to see uh, these small actions of avoidance or uh, flight or whatever it is. For example, for you, um, you know, what triggers your threat system and what were the reactive uh, final flight response? Uh, you need to work in, look, really look at those uh, functional and behavioral and emotional uh, analysis of, of what is, is going on. Um, but we all get in these situations. Um, I think all players do. It's just different. When do they feel this pressure? Uh, performers in other arenas, they get, they meet it too. It's just different. Yeah, definitely. And for for me, it was uh, it was often uh, a few the few of the situations that we we worked with. Just to give the uh, the listeners a bit of understanding uh, of that is uh, one of the specific situations I remember is that I I would always feel uh, a loss of confidence or feel insecure if I made a lift that went out of the back line. So I would be afraid of then playing the baseline because I felt like yeah. I couldn't lift, and then I would start just playing uh, the front court instead because. Uh, yeah. I did, yeah, I didn't feel confident uh, to play the back, but I guess yeah. when you work with uh, Rasmus Gimke now or uh, as some someone else, it could be a completely different matter that triggers uh, that emotion in here. It could be a, a missed opportunity, or it could be if uh, someone hits a smash uh, down on him or, or something like that. Not, not yeah. that you have to be specific about Gimke, but just to clarify that it could be one very specific situation that actually triggers the, this. Uh, Mindset yeah. where you want to kind of uh, yeah, flight, uh, go away, uh, do something else. Yeah. Typically, it's when you have experienced a negative consequence of doing the behavior. So, for example, if you lift uh, the shuttle out of the court, uh, and then maybe you tr- in the beginning you try to lift it uh, shorter, but then mm-hmm. the opponent will just jump up and smash it down. Uh, so if you have some uh, negative experiences with that, where there are some negative consequences, for example, you're losing the game or you begin to play too simple. So when you get into that situation, uh, you will have this uh, stress response. Um, and if you're not aware of it, then you will just react with um, beginning to play, for example, the front, the front of the court or uh, sometimes you were also attacking a lot, uh, so you didn't have to lift. So you just started, uh, you know, smashing a lot and attacking a lot, and and that there's always a kind of short-term reward by doing this emotional uh, reactive behavior. 
Um, but the consequence just a, a, a little longer down the road is, is often negative. And you play maybe too simple. Uh, you don't build up uh, and you end up losing the game. And what is even worse is you end up losing yourself because you lose that identity of who you want to be. So that's even when you get out after a, a loss and you sit down on the bench and you sit, oh, damn, <laughs> I wasn't playing the way I want to. That hurts more than actually losing the game. Yeah. For, for many yeah. athletes. Yeah. Yeah, I think it would for, for me as well. Uh, and it hurts double the amount when you then also lose. So you, you lose uh, yeah. two times instead of just one, basically. Uh, but yeah, I guess then when you when you need to work on this to to be able to control that situation um, and by controlling it, I mean control your response to to that feeling. Yeah, is is it basically the same approach you have to all athletes that you you try the same tools to everyone and then you kind of see if if that works and then you you move on to the next tool or but does that also depend on the, the person and the, the issue what what kind of tools you you try and and uh, teach them yeah. to to use? I have a framework that I use, uh, but again, when we go down further down, it's it's more individual. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, for example, I have a framework that uh, I call the the three R process, mm-hmm. uh, which is when you get into a difficult situation. The first R is to register whatever shows up inside of you, what emotions, what thoughts, what bodily sensations, um, and one of the problems is that some athletes they don't register this and then they just end up uh, being reactive in the game and uh, so the first r is to register that you're now you're in this situation sometimes i call it the the unpleasant hotspot or yeah we have different names for that but you stand you're standing in this situation and doubt has shown up uh, nervous anxiety maybe has shown up and maybe it pushes you towards not lifting. Um, so, and, and you get that Im- immediate relief. But, but if you're able to stand in that, sometimes we also call it the eye of the hurricane, to stand in that place in the hurricane where you can observe your, your feelings and your thoughts, then you can kind of, uh, that, that's the second R, is to make a release, is to let go of, that fusion with your thoughts and feelings, it's not gonna vanish or disappear, but you're not hooked and you're not fused with it. Um, so it's not, it's not able to control you when you, when you diffuse from it. And then the, the last R is refocus to, um, to your values and your game plan. That's very important that before the game, you make a game plan because this is what you want to connect to uh, and focus on in the game. Um, and then you kind of refocus to that and then you can engage again in, in committed behavior um, so the 3R process is kind of a framework but the way we work with 3R process for example there's a lot of different uh, release strategies that's very uh, different from individual to individual some some people are more in the emotional stuff so you maybe you lo- use a lot of Breathing, uh, deep. Take a deep breath. Uh, feel the floor. Uh, maybe That's breathe through the tension. Yeah, for example. And, and other people are more into 
finding release strategies to which are um, directed towards the thinking. So it could be, for example, okay, there is there is Mr. Fear showing up in the game now, yeah. and he yeah, well, wants I me also to play that. safe. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. that's another thing. So Mr. Fear wants me to play safe. Um, and Mr. Fear, I know that he he tries to help me, but uh, this is not the right solution for me to play safe. So I'm instead of that, I'm maybe you you connect to values like uh, courage or being brave and being bold. And for you, a value was being a fighter, uh, mm-hmm. which was really uh, very close to your heart. Never give up. Always fight. And and. The work was maybe to to uh, put more into that, so you were uh, uh, also um, you could play a controlled offensive, where you're also uh, brave, but you and but you built uh, the the play up instead of you know just fighting, which was more natural too. I don't know if you yeah agree. definitely <laughs> yeah I, yeah I do definitely agree one hundred percent, and I I think it's it's fun that you should mention it because. When I played the final in uh, Thailand Open uh, back in January, uh, I was so sad and annoyed uh, at the end of the final when I had to say thanks for the match to Victor. Uh, and that was not because I, I lost, because I, obviously I, I lost a uh, big time, but it was actually because I sustained a, an injury in my ab area. At, I think mm. it was 13-5 or a 6 in the uh, the second game. And I was so disappointed and sad that I couldn't fight in the end of the the second game. Oh, I couldn't yeah. go for the go for the shots that I wanted to go for, because uh, mm. obviously I was being outplayed. So it wouldn't have made a difference uh, in terms of the end result. I probably would have lost if I didn't get injured. But I was just mm. so disappointed uh, that that I couldn't fight. Uh, and as you say, it just it is a value for me, and it is something that's very natural for me. And it, it's important that to me to feel satisfied after a match that I, I feel like I I gave uh, yeah everything I, I had. Yeah. And that's actually uh, another very important part of the uh, work is to really connect with and work with what values do you want to stand for? Um, mm-hmm. Because a lot of athletes put uh, winning and losing into the identity, whether you get status, whether you get recognition, but um you know, there can only be one winner at the end. Uh, so does that mean that everyone else is bad athletes uh, or poor players? Uh, no, for me, it's more looking at it uh, as a lifestyle and who we want to be as a player. Uh, and then sometimes you also get the win and that's the extra bonus. And of course, that's also one of the big motivations, but there's more to it. And um it should begin with how they want to be as a as a person and a player. And I think it's great. You're already moving uh, way into the uh, second part of uh, this interview, okay. Jacob, with, where I want to sorry. be more. Uh, no, no, no. Don't be sorry. It's it's the perfect uh, transition into to that subject <laughs> where I want I want to go a little bit deeper into how we actually work with mental training. Uh, and you already talked about this uh, three arm. Uh, framework or, or model and uh, it's it's no secret that uh, i've been using that a a lot as well uh, within the work with you and i'm still using it and every time i do any kind of talks i uh, 
I always say that that's a good way, a good place to start if you want to work with uh, with mental training um, to do this register, release, and refocus uh, process. Mm. Um, but but to be like very very specific for anyone listening here, if they want to start up a uh, a work with a sports psychologist, uh, how should they go about it to to get the best uh, the best uh, effort out of it would it just be uh, contacting a sports psychologist or what would you say should be the first step in terms of uh, getting a successful uh, work out of it mm. yeah I think the, the the first thing is is that you're open and curious mm. um, I have had some players that uh, were referred by the coach because maybe the coach thought that it would be good for them. Um, and it, it never turns out to be a very good, uh, you know, uh, path for them. Um, but if you are open and curious, then uh, that, I think that's the first thing. And then you start, typically when I start uh, a collaboration with an athlete or a performer, uh, there's a phase of getting insight. Uh, you know, different conversations about uh, how do you see yourself, uh, how do you see yourself in your best game, what happens in the in the bad games, and maybe you observe the person in, in practice and in, in tournaments, uh, you talk to the coach, and you, you really get insight. But also the player, uh, is it's the phase is also for the player to get a lot of self-insight. And then you, you look for patterns. You look for if, if, if there is a pattern uh, where you're challenged, what is that pattern? Uh, so now we've talked about one of your patterns before. Um, so you look at patterns, uh, behavioral patterns, um, and then you start uh, developing different approaches to uh, be able to act the way you want to in, in, that in those difficult situations. And then there's a lot long phase of practice, 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 and you you know, on court, uh, but also outside of court. And then uh, in talks, we ref reflect together. Um, and yeah, some of the I, things I think, that you... Yeah, yeah I, I think you already had so many good points because I, I think one of the most important things for me when I started working with you was mm. that I needed to set a goal and be very clear on what is it I want to be better at? What What is it mm. I want to improve? Because... Uh, I think a lot, a lot of people, when I hear from them, they say, but they want to be better mentally. But yeah, but what does that mean? How do they want yeah. to be better? I, I had specific, specific situations that I wanted to be able to handle uh, in a better way. Yeah. Uh, and then as you say, you also need to be patient because it, it's not like you, you talk to a psychologist for a few times and then he gives you a tool and it works like this. Uh, no. it, it Basically, for me, I see it as it's no different than if you want to work on your forehand uh, net spin, mm. you need to be specific specific on why you want to do it, how you want to do it, and then you need to work on it for a long time before it actually gets better in a match. So it's not really yeah. any different compared to mental training, is it? No, I agree with you. But you know, in the in the conversation, it maybe becomes more clear to you what is it you want to work with. Maybe you don't know that in the beginning, so it's also kind of a uh, an exploration of uh, what is going on. Um, so, uh, but but you, 
in the in the period of time we need to find that focus what do we want to work on and i guess that's also where that um, period of exploration is where the honesty is even it's always important but it's even more important in that period if you want to have the best end result that you are extremely honest yeah. in, in 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 that phase yeah honesty is uh, connected to openness uh, because mm. if you you can also find athletes that are Of course, there's always uh, something related to, you know, getting to know people and getting that trust. Um, but sometimes you get the athletes that maybe are not uh, ready to uh, be so vulnerable and be so honest, as you say. Um, maybe they also have this threat system activated in the conversation with me. So they also want to look good uh, when it's when they talk to me. Um, and of course, that's my job to to show them that they don't need to do that in, in that room. They can they can be uh, honest. And I see a lot of athletes uh, with a lot of different issues, and it's just normal. It's just being a human being. Uh, so they don't have to be a superhuman being when they are talking with me or speaking with me. Yeah, yeah. No, it's no no. Uh... No secret for me either that uh, a few times I've felt it's been pretty hard having to go see you yeah. for a session, uh, especially after disappointments, obviously, uh, when I haven't mm. performed the way I wanted to or if I haven't done the things that we agreed that I should do or stuff like that, then it's been, it will be easier to just not not go see you so I don't have to kind of uh, yeah. Yeah, face, face up to it. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I, th I think that that's a key uh key point as well that that you need to be able to have this honesty and openness as you said and, but you also need to be aware that it can actually hurt and it's not it's not easy in any way uh, i i have an example of uh of a player that i actually referred to you at, at one point because he wanted to have some help with the uh, with mm -hmm. mental training uh, and obviously i'm not going to mention his name or, or anything but he was so frustrated in the first few tournaments afterwards because he felt that every, everything that he spoke to you about and that you tried to to make him work with, it, it just confused him on court that he, he felt he was spending so much energy on, on trying these things out. So he actually performed worse. Mm. So, so he, he had trouble seeing it in the longer perspective that it would be a, a, a good investment. And that's, that's why I say you need to be able to look at it as training, like any other kind of training that you, you don't necessarily get instantly better results it is possible but it, it's not uh how it goes for most people i suppose right that most people you will need a longer period of time where you work together yeah i usually say that as a, as a rule of thumb you need to invest yourself for half half a year to one year um and that's just to set the expectations uh because some some athletes you know you know think okay can we can we manage this in three to five sessions and You know, maybe something great will happen sometimes that it really, you know, it, it goes really fast sometimes. But as a rule of thumb, think about it as, as half a year is you need to invest that. And uh, of course, some, some athletes, I, I know a few athletes that, that really get frustrated because they actually see maybe uh, that their performance is getting worse in the beginning because they need to put energy in an increased awareness of what shows up inside of me. So they're not, they don't just play on automa automatic uh, pilot. 
um, they need to be aware of themselves. And that's, that's very difficult in the beginning. So maybe, uh, you know, uh, you play worse and it's not all athletes that are ready for that. But I try to set the expectations so that they know this is what you, you're going into. Um, but yeah, it's, it's also, it, it, sport is also a game of result and very short-term focus. So it's not always easy. No, definitely not. And the way we worked with it, Jakob, was that, that I came to you and had these talks, but you also were quite often present in the uh, in the hall, actually. When I had match practice, for example, you you sometimes came down and, and watched, and uh, we, we had a few uh, just five, ten-minute meetings after matches like that to just evaluate on, on everything we've discussed in the previous uh, long talks. Uh, I'm, mm. I know that, that not everyone will have the possibility to have a, a sports psychologist like that but if if it is a a possibility I, I would highly recommend that as well so the the sports psychologist actually sees you in the in the environment that you need to to perform in and also work with it in but one thing that i found that was really effective uh, uh, that you gave me as an advice was to work with the things that we talked about in everyday situations so not mm. not so much on court uh, one of the things where i i still actually often think of you is uh, when i'm in the supermarket and okay. i'm uh, i'm in the line waiting to uh, to pay for my uh, my groceries because yeah. i remember back then you always told me that uh, but that that's an everyday situation where you can be frustrated because you're annoyed that the guy in front of you is uh, taking uh, 10 years to put all of his uh, his groceries on the uh, on the till where he needs to pay or someone didn't find the uh, credit card to pay. So it takes uh, 10 seconds extra. So you get, you get annoyed and frustrated. And that was a great everyday situation for me to uh, work with this three R model. Uh, and I, I guess you can find a hundred other situations in daily life for summits when they drive the car. But, but I think that was really, uh, uh, really brilliant. And whenever I'm in the line or in the queue in the, the supermarket, I, I think of you and, uh, <laughs> this is a good chance to actually work on this yeah yeah that that's a that's a good example uh, and i agree with you that you can work on for example registering and releasing and being mindful in a lot of situations and it becomes almost a way of life um, so sometimes people think that this the mental uh, game or the, and the mental, the psychological stuff goes on in conversations, but the real transformation is taking place outside when you practice and you can practice in a lot of ways. Um, I have a lot of athletes meditating, practicing mindfulness, and that's very a very formal way of practicing awareness. Like if you practice, practice physical training, then you go to the gym and mindful meditation is like going to the mental gym. But then, of course, you also do a lot of uh, exercises outside the gym. And so I try really to put uh, this uh, mindfulness exercises into practical uh, situations like standing in a line. I also remember I recorded uh, a mindful uh, walking your dog or something with you uh, one time. Do you remember that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah so that's, that's true. And, and that's because some athletes or performers, I don't have the time for all this uh, mindfulness practice. I don't have the time for all this extra stuff. So try to incorporate it in, in what you're already doing. So you were walking the dog when, when 
maybe you could take that walk and do actually mindfulness uh, walking. Yeah, exactly. So there's really no excuse for anyone sitting out there. If they don't have access all the time to a psychologist, there's actually, or if they don't have enough spare time, there's actually lots of situations where you can work on it a little bit. And obviously the thought behind it is that the more you work with it, the more natural it will be for you also when you're then on court and and you need to perform in the more stressful situation. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I, I want to jump uh, a little bit. Uh, we, we're still we're still talking about uh, how we work with this uh, with mental training specifically. But I've had a few questions from some of my listeners on what your work consists of when you are at a tournament with the players, because they've seen photos of you when you're sitting behind my court or someone else's court. I put up a photo where you're sitting next to uh, to Kenneth. Um, so they're just very curious to know, especially when you're sitting on that chair next to a coach mm. what, what is your role there why why are you sitting there do you actually give advice to the player or do you just uh, look at them and try to give a few pointers to to the coach what, what is your your main uh, objective when you're when you're sitting in the coach's chair next to a coach yeah um i think we had in in the optimal situation you have a good collaboration between the player and the coach and the mental coach um and we had a very good collaboration with Kenneth um, and when I was sitting in the chair next to him there was uh, two uh, tasks one was to get more insight more observation you know closest to the court looking at you I see really whatever is going on and also the dialogue you had with Kenneth so that I would get to know you even better so that I could help you better mm. but then uh, it was also giving uh, you know uh, just sharing observations with Kenneth. And he also shared some observations with him, um, what was going on. And then maybe sometimes giving just short input to Kenneth, maybe before uh, uh, the, t- the change of sets. Um, mm. And, but uh, but the, it's there's not a lot of time and the roles have to be very clearly. So uh, we were, I was quite clear also that I didn't want to be an extra guy shouting in and maybe what I was going to shout wasn't in line with Kenneth. So we, we agreed that I, I talked with Kenneth and then he would be the filter. So he could give the, the information to you if, if he found it relevant because, uh, you know, he was, he was the main coach and I was more like a, a helper on the side. Yeah, it's not that you don't know anything about badminton, but of course you're you're not at the same expert level in terms of uh, no, tactics no, no. <laughs> and, uh, and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, because I remember uh, I tried to find a a few situations where I've uh, I've had you uh, traveling with me, uh, not with me only, but with the uh, with the national team or. Uh, uh, yeah, so you've been sitting behind my court. Uh, I've tried to find two situations where it worked well and uh, or where I performed well and where I didn't perform so well. Um, mm. And I'm sure you know that the one where I performed well, that will, of course, be the Thomas Cup 2016. You already mentioned it there. Yeah, uh, that's easy uh, to forget. Briefly. Yeah. yeah. No, um, no, that's the, yeah. Sorry, it's not easy to forget. It's No, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's very difficult to forget. It's uh, Yeah. Uh, but... I'm curious to know if uh, you could guess which situation I've uh, chosen as uh, the one where it didn't uh, go so well for me and where you were actually present. Mm. No. No. Um. It's the World Championships in 2014 in Denmark. 
and then and I, it's yeah. yeah it's not because i played terribly uh, bad i actually had a few good wins in the first two rounds um but we started working together in 2013 um i think that's correct around that time at least and this is in 2014 so i would say we are still in the early days of uh, the two of us working together and i remember very specifically in my third round match i lose to uh, sean wen ho from korea and uh I have a feeling after the match that I cannot play defense at all. I couldn't lift. Uh, He just uh, hit winners all the time. And also I couldn't hit winners at all. So every time I had a chance, I felt like he just had the most crazy defense. Um, And at that time, I didn't really master that three arm model at a very high level. Um, Or at least I don't think I, I did. Uh, and I, I'm not sure if you were on the chair actually for the match. I just remember you were present at the event, uh, mm. uh, but th- that was kind of the best situation I could come up with. And I thought it was quite important to tell that because compared to 2016, when you were then at Thomas Cup, I that was exactly what I did master so well was the three arm model. Every time I had any kind of uh, trouble, I I think I. I managed to recognize it, register it, release and and, and refocus. And I, I think it tells me that it is very important, as you said earlier as well, to think more of uh, working with mental training in the long run and not the short run, uh, short term. Because mm. in 2014, I, I probably just wasn't ready to use it in a very stressful, stressful situation as I felt the World Championships at home with high expectations, a lot of focus was. But at Thomas Cup in 2016, I... I was so ready for it, and I felt we were at a completely, uh, yeah, different place in our uh, in our cooperation. Do, do you remember that World Championship in, in twenty fourteen at all? Yeah, yeah, I do. Hmm. Um, and I also remember that feeling you had of hmm. you couldn't you couldn't make any points. Hmm. Uh, yeah. You couldn't, uh, yeah, hit it to you the couldn't ground. Couldn't get it get it on the floor. Yeah. No, and and also that uh, yeah, so I could really I can I can remember that frustration. Yeah, and, I, yeah. and what is a bit strange about it was that when I then watched the match and video afterwards, when we analyzed yeah. it in the aftermath of the event, it it was pretty clear that it wasn't the case at all. That I hit no. lots of winners, uh, yeah. but I had just I had got that feeling in my head that I don't hit the winners. Uh, I just yeah. can't can't make any points. No, and I, I think um, from a psychological uh, point of view, you'd say, you'd say you were very fused with that idea of yeah. you not being able to to hit the, to the floor. Um, and it was very difficult for you to, to make that release or diffuse from that idea. Um, yeah, uh, and I agree that uh, we were not so long in our cooperation and working together, but also the setting, uh, home court, Denmark, uh, wanting to do good uh, was uh, putting extra pressure. And that's, you know, sometimes you, as an athlete, sometimes you, ha- you have the feeling that, okay, now I've got it. Now I, I, I've, I figured it out. I know how to approach myself from a mental side. And then you, you are in a different situation and then it, no, you didn't you didn't have it uh the pressure is just increased and now you have to to work even harder and sometimes uh, athletes get you know surprised that this is the way it is um, i have athletes 
going to the Olympics and they think maybe they have done a very good job in the period up to the leading up to the Olympics. And it's okay, Jakob, I've got I've got control, I've got this covered. And then they get, go to the Olympics and they are just being hit <laughs> by the pressure because they want the, the wish for success is so 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 big and there's so much focus and a lot of people following uh, the media and everything. Mm. Have you also experienced the 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 other way around? Because this is a, a question I got from a couple of listeners as well that you've had a athlete or an athlete that won a very big event like the Olympics or the World Championships or something very prestigious, mm. and then afterwards they can't reproduce that form in any way. Yeah, yeah. A lot of athletes think that when I get this first win, then it will all the next one. The next one will be easier. Um, and I mean, it's often it's the contrary. It's it's now you have expectations. Now you have to live up, and you have to show the world that it is. It was not a coincidence. So the feeling or the perception of pressure is bigger. And then it becomes actually more difficult to win the second one. Um, and again, athletes get surprised by that. Uh, it's often easier to chase than being the one who's getting chased. Do you experience that? Yeah, do you experience that as well with the with the uh, clients you have that are not from the world of sports as well? I know uh, one thing that, that always uh, I found uh, a bit... Uh, i don't know if fun is the right word, but uh, yeah, that's the one. I, the one word I'm going to use for it. You you have been working with a stand-up comedian or a, a few. I don't know, uh, but yeah. do, do you do you experience that for them as well? So maybe first time when they do a one-man show, they feel like mm. then the next ones are going to be uh, going to be easier, or is it completely different uh, issues that that arise in in, in other uh, other? No, it's a bit words. the same. Um, yeah, um, I mean, it's not that. Of course, you can get something out of winning the first tournament. You get a lot of knowledge and experience, but you have to transform it and understand it in, in, in the right way because otherwise it can just uh, end up being a big pressure. So for example, for a stand-up comedian, you, you do a big one-man show and you get a lot of good reviews, a lot of people paying to come and watch you and it's just great. And then you, uh, you do the, the follow-up and you want to do even better or at least live up to the expectations and this is where we've in from also musicians they have this you know very it's very difficult to do the second one um and they can lose their creativity because they're not as uh, um, brave or want to take chances they want to you know make a sure success and then sometimes they even uh, you know they they Maybe they reproduce some stuff some way because they know this is working and that's not really how they want to be. So again, you you we work with understanding these dynamics and not fusing with these ideas and going back to the values and the mission. Uh, so for example, if the values are to be creative and be curious and develop new stuff and you really try to connect with that. And that's not gonna show off the doubt or the expectations. You 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 work with embracing that 
and accepting that. Um, but you focus and connect with the values and the mission. I think that's a great way to finish off uh, th this part of the talk that it is also useful to have this approach that we talked about in the very beginning uh, of not trying to get rid of uh, nervousness or anxiety in, in any way, but actually try to embrace it and work with it. And that's not just for badminton or uh, football or tennis or sports. It, it can be in, in any part of life. So anyone listening here that doesn't want to be a world-class badminton player, it could also mm. be something they can find uh, useful in, in their everyday life, right? Yeah. It goes for everyone want, having something important they want to send out to the world. It can be, you know, a student taking an exam or just raising your hand in the school, a leader taking a difficult conversation or making a speech. Yeah, so a lot of situations. All right, Jakob, we will move to the final part of the interview. And that is, uh, as always, the listener questions. I, uh, as I said, I, I got quite a few good ones. Um, I've chosen uh, three of them for you to uh, to answer. You don't have to give 10-minute uh, long answers, but uh, <laughs> no. it is a podcast, so you're also free to, uh, to give an uh, elaborative uh, answer if you want to. The first one is from Nella on Instagram, and uh, she is asking what is the most common men mental thing that prevents athletes from breaking through to the elite level in your experience? Um, there's a lot of talented people who has uh, only experienced success. And when they get to the higher level and the hierarchy uh, is, is even more intense, and uh, the competition is more intense, you're gonna get to adversity. At some point, you're gonna get to adversity and you're gonna begin to lose. And if you have learned through your years as a talent that it's only about winning and losing, uh, then you're gonna really struggle when you get to that point because then it's a very black and white identity where if I win, then I'm good enough. If I lose, then I'm not a good player. And maybe they've been infused with the identity. So I'm not a good person. Uh, so um, so you so the um, the identity as only if I win, then I would be good enough. If you have a strong fusion with that idea, then you're gonna struggle uh, because when you get to the elite level, one of the things you have to learn is to lose. You have to learn to lose mm -hmm. and to learn from it and to get stronger. And if you don't have that growth mindset and that learning approach, then we often see people uh, burn out and drop out of, of uh, elite sport. That's a good answer, Jakob. Thank you. The, uh, <laughs> the next one is, uh, the, the question is quite short, but uh, it's a combination of, of two. So first I want, I want to read the, the first part, which is not really a question, but it... it uh, yeah, it's quite important to get the full understanding of the uh, the final question. Uh, I have a guy on uh, Twitter, uh, SP Core. He's saying that when the strategy of a player does not work, commentators, they often suggest the players need to try something completely different, whereas the counter argument would be to trust your plan and your game and continue doing what you're best at. Because leaving the comfort zone, that might mean that you make more mistakes. 
So I have another person, uh, Yak221 on Twitter. He's asking, sometimes a player is giving 100%, but all shots and strategies goes to waste. How should a player cope with this? So mm-hmm. I think those two, they, they, they work together pretty well. So what's your take on that? How should a player go about it and approach it if nothing works of the, the plan that we already discussed earlier that you need to have this game plan uh, before the match if it doesn't work then then what should you do should you just stick keep on trying to make it work mm. or yeah how should you go about it in terms of the mental side yeah um i think uh, the key here is flexibility uh so you you try to you try to stick to the plan but you have some amount of flexibility and creativity within that plane. Um, it's often it's not so good to totally leave your plan and just do play totally different uh, because then you often you end up playing very high risk and you do a lot of mistakes or play way too safe and hope for the other the opponent to, to make the, the mistakes. And none of those strategies are good. It's, if you are playing on a very high level, then the opponent will just kill you. <laughs> so, uh, and you make the plan because you have uh, researched your opponent, you have seen videos, you have talked with your coach and made a tactic. And so often it's not the plan that has, I think is, is uh, wrong, but it's how good are you at executing it? And how can you within that plan have some flexibility? I guess that would be my answer to that. Yeah, I think that was a good one again, Jakob. It it made it made sense to me. It made sense to me. It's not a yeah. not an easy question uh, to answer in a, in a short period of time either. I have yeah. a the final one from you. That's actually from another professional player, Neil Yakura from uh, Canada. I don't know if he actually wanted me to ask it or if it was more uh, just uh, as a a bit of a joke. He asked it because he he just uh, lost a match in the Swiss Open where he was leading in the end, and uh, I had a bit of a chat with him. But he sent it in as a question, so that's why I'm asking it. And he's simply saying, when I'm leading in the end of a match, how do I stay focused to close it out? Yeah, so I think it's a very good question uh, because a lot of athletes experience that, that you play very good on a high level, you play freely, and you get in this winning position. And then something happens. And this is for many athletes in many different sports. It's also golf that I work a lot with now. Uh, You see the same thing. Um, And the idea is that you have something that you think you have already won. You have have it already in your hands. So uh, that would be my hypothesis with uh, the player is that he is already in his head. He has already won the game. But now he finds out, well, I can still lose it. I'm not... It's not, it hasn't ended yet. Uh, so he, he, this is a typical situation where the threat system is really triggered and it starts uh, saying, okay, play safe uh, or maybe again, the opposite. Now go for a quick point and none of these strategies, it's final flight. None of these strategies are good. So again, it's really to embrace that uh, feeling of of uh, nervousness and worry and maybe some anxiety and then use the 3R model if you're able to register okay now I'm actually beginning to to play safe or being too aggressive and okay so these things are showing up and I try to release that I 
take some deep breath. I accept this feeling now and I refocus to what is the plan? What is it that has led to this very fortunate situation? Well, it's because I played this way. Okay, so you kind of continue playing in, in this game or in this way, or maybe you adjust a little with that flexibility that we talked about just before. Maybe you adjust a little bit because um, I know sometimes, I know Kenneth, for example, he says the Chinese, they always changed a little bit in the last two or three points. So they have something left for you in the, in the end so that you, you don't know what they're coming with. And maybe you change a little bit, but again, uh, it should be an active choice and not just beginning to play safe or beginning to just go crazy aggressive. And, yeah. and it sounds so simple to just use that 3R model and just register release and, and refocus, yeah. but obviously it, it's not easy and it's not that no. simple. It's something you need to work on to be able to master it, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, sometimes it sounds, uh, and I know when I describe it in a, like this in a podcast, it, it can easily sound very easy, and that's not the intention because it is very difficult, especially when you're really in these hotspot situations and it takes a lot of practice. All right, cool. Jakob, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on my podcast. Uh, I think you answered brilliantly on the, on all the questions and also some of the non-questions where I was just talking and you uh, you answered that as well. So that, that was amazing and I'm sure the listeners uh, will uh, have enjoyed it uh, too. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. If, great to know. And Jakob, if people want to work with you or know more about you, Uh, where can they do that? I know you have a, a website, right? But it's only in Danish, but I also have Danish listeners, so we can uh, we can uh, make a little bit of a promotion of that. Yeah. So what's your website? Uh, we have a, a small firm called W Partners. So it's actually in, in English. Uh, so if you just oh. write W and then uh, this line, I don't know what it's called, uh, and then partners. The one I have between Hans and Christian. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. And then you, so w-partners.com. And this is a small firm where we work with performers from all the performance environments and across different performance settings. Um, and we do a lot in sports, but also in business and in art, music, actors and stuff like that. Yeah. And I'll definitely put the address in my show notes and it's important. Uh, Important for the listeners to know that W is U is Y O U, right? Yes. Yeah. All right. And uh, you also wrote a book. I also wanted to promote that a little bit. Uh, Perform under pressure. Yeah. It's called. Is that also available in English or only in Danish? Uh, it's not available in English, but we're working on it actually in translation uh, now. Uh, we have another mm -hmm. English book called Mindfulness and Acceptance in Sport which is more for uh, actually uh, coaches and psychologists and people who are helping athletes. Um, and if, yeah, for the Danish people, we also have uh, another new book called Ubehe or mm -hmm. Discomfort uh, in English, yeah. um, which is also going to be translated now. Um, and if people yeah. want to get hold of these books, can they just email you or? Uh, they can email me, but they can also find it in every bookshop available. Oh. All right. Cool. I think that's it there uh, for the promotion for today, Jakob. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So uh, th thanks again for, uh, for being on my show and uh, I hope to see you again sometime soon. Yeah, I do too. It's been a pleasure. Thank you.
I hope you enjoyed this chat with Jakob and it's also my hope we managed to give you a better understanding of what mental training is or at least what it can be like at the level both me and Jakob are working at. Or maybe even what it can look like for anyone at any level and any line of work because I think one of the great takeaways I find hidden in this chat is how we can all use Jakob's techniques like the 3R model that I used a lot and still do to help us master stressful situations in a better way. And honestly, we all have situations where we find it difficult to be, behave and react in the way we actually would want to deep down. It can come in so many different shapes and forms, but it's possible to learn how to master it. It just takes a lot of practice. And that's another great takeaway that if you want to change something in your mindset or how to work with yourself mentally, you need to practice. You need to be patient, but you also need to be open to change. If you fail to be honest and open in the process, you just won't get the reward you're looking for, and you most likely won't get it either if you fail to give it the time it needs and work through some hardships as well. So I guess you can say that mental training, it's not much different from other aspects of life. It takes hard work to be good at it. I'm very curious to know what your takeaways are from today's episode, so please reach out publicly or privately through my social media or via email on ayearontour at gmail.com. Let that be the words for today. Next time you'll hear from me on this part will be from Birmingham at the amazing All England and I honestly can't wait for that. Bye.